0: Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashkan Kazarian. On today's show, we're going to talk about the internet essentials. Joining me, I have Karima Zaydan, Vice President, Digital Inclusion and Internet Essentials Comcast Corporation. Karima, thank you so much for joining the show. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for hosting us here today, Ash. Absolutely. You came a long way. Not a lot of people come all the way from Philadelphia to record this. And I really appreciate that. And I'm really glad that you're here because the topic we're going to talk about is near and dear to our hearts at Tech Freedom. And I think to everyone, it's about the digital divide and the inclusion of everyone in our society into the internet as a societal... Being into the internet economy and just into the tool that makes everyone's life better and easier. So, um, not a lot of people might know about your program. Mm-hmm. Um, so, let's start with the digital divide, just kind of the event and the situation itself. Um, how are you guys addressing it? So, you're obviously vice president of digital inclusion. What is the way
1: Comcast thinks about this? Sure. So here's how we think about the digital divide. It's about 23% of households in this country that don't subscribe to the internet at home, which is probably a little known fact. So the internet, the broadband plant, is actually built out to their homes, but they don't subscribe to it. So we, all of us who use the internet every day, we wake up in the morning, we do email, we check the weather, We do online banking, travel. I mean, think about all the things that we do online that most likely we take for granted every day. So these folks, they don't have a wireline subscription at home. And that's the basis of our program here. Now, they likely have smartphones. But when you take a deeper look at that 23%, you see that these communities are largely in poverty, so of lower socioeconomic status. There are factors around race, lack of education. For Comcast, we are an urban connectivity company. And in our footprint, we see that these are primarily low-income communities of color. So those are the folks who are not being included. And, and what does that really mean? So they likely have a smartphone but they're not able to use the internet at home, so they don't have a device, a computer, or a tablet where they can access the internet and do all the things that we take for granted every day. And that's really the crux of the problem. So imagine if you are a mom, a dad, your parents, you have kids in school, and you, your kids are assigned homework, and there's an expectation that the parents are supposed to use something like a parent portal to connect with teachers, administration. And you don't have a connection at home. What do you do? It's hard to do your homework at home. So we've heard countless stories across the country of parents who take their kids and they use the free Wi-Fi in a parking lot, for example, at McDonald's, at Starbucks, at a community center, wherever they can grab it. And they give their smartphones to their kids and they are expected to write a paper, complete their homework, do math problems at home, at in the parking lot. And that's really challenging and really tragic. And that's the problem we're trying to solve for. So what can we do as a connectivity company to really like bring multiple parties together, so nonprofit partners, government partners, community partners, anyone who has a vested interest in getting online, how can we serve as a convener to help people get online. And that is what the Internet Essentials program is about. So we offer low-cost internet for $9.95 a month, no credit check, no contract. You can connect and disconnect as often as you need to, a subsidized device so you can buy a laptop or a desktop for under $150. And most importantly, the most uh, significant part of the program is our investment in nonprofits all across our footprint. So since the time Internet Essentials launched in 2011, We've invested over $650 million uh, cash and in kind in nonprofits to, to help really build the digital infrastructure of impoverished communities. So we are rehabbing computer labs, providing equipment, supporting the nonprofits who are the experts in their field and providing digital skills training. And those are the three stools of the program. So
0: let's start at the beginning. How did the Internet Essentials program even come about?
1: So it did come about in 2011 uh, as part of a voluntary commitment that Comcast made in order to acquire NBC Universal. And there was only a three-year term to the program. And it was a very basic skeleton of a program. We had to offer uh, low-cost internet to families with children on the free school lunch program. That was our minimum commitment. And we had to provide marketing materials that were free of cost and engage nonprofits in helping to raise awareness. And from that, the terms of that commitment were less than two pages, really. From that, fast forward to 2019, we have an entire business infrastructure at the company dedicated to this program. And we have an entire community impact infrastructure that is dedicated to the cause of digital inclusion. The, the technical terms of the program expired in 2014, but since then, we have only grown and we're trying to make the program bigger, better, serve more low-income households across the country, invest more in nonprofits to accelerate the good work that they're doing, and act as this convener. For all these parties, we have ten thousand nonprofit partners, nonprofit government community partners across the footprint. And how big is your team that handles the ten thousand partners? So we we actually have hundreds of Comcasters. We do have a a team at headquarters, uh, which is in Philadelphia for us, and we do manage. We are a centralized team. We manage the program, but it's really hundreds of Comcasters all across the country in cities like Washington DC, and Baltimore, and Miami, and Atlanta, and San Francisco. And that team, those teams, they work on promoting the program, strengthening relationships with nonprofits on the ground to raise awareness of the program, going to back to school nights, holding on-site registration. I mean, the approach we've taken to this program is entirely grassroots. It's not a program that is driven by press releases uh, or really big one-time donations and then we walk away. It's really about a sustained commitment to our partners in the community to help ensure that our communities are thriving. Because the founder of Comcast, uh, Ralph Roberts, our current CEO's father, he believed that in order for the business to thrive, the communities in which our employees live and work also has to thrive.
0: What is the qualifying requirement to be part of a program to enter a program because you mentioned, you know, kids who are um, in how just mm-hmm. kind of are registered in school as the ones who need some support, but what is kind of how how are you guys defining the sure. limits?
1: So we started off serving families with school-age children eligible for the National School Lunch Program. And we've since expanded eligibility 11 times. And this fall, we have expanded to serve all low-income households in our footprint eligible for federal public assistance. So if you went on our website, internetessentials.com, you could see the list of qualifying programs. These are the largest public assistance programs in the country. So Medicaid, SNAP, food stamps, for example, TANF, SSI, which reaches a number of households with disabilities and then about a half dozen other programs that are available on our website. So if you are eligible for one of those programs, and if you don't have a back balance, that is under one year old, and you're not an existing internet customer, you are eligible for this program. The intent is to connect households, low income households, who uh, are really disenfranchised, typically marginalized, and they are not been connected to the internet. And we know from our customer base that 90% of our customers who do connect, they do not have an internet subscription at the time they sign up for this program.
0: And this is not just schoolwork. I mean, obviously it's applying for jobs, it's healthcare. Every single part of our lives these days, just to register to vote even, you got to go online. I don't even know if people have physical places they can register to vote for these days. So I mean, I don't know. I'm not a US voter, for the record. Immigration system, hey, don't come for me. Um, and so I just. You know, it's fascinating. Do you know, do you have a number of like exactly at least
1: how many households or people have been enrolled over the, what, eight years now? Yes. And just to follow up on your earlier point, I mean, you are exactly right. You cannot apply for a job without having a connection, without typing up and submitting your resume or your application online, uh, healthcare services. Uh, everything. We take for granted. Paying bills, signing up for social services, signing up for those public assistance programs that I just referenced. You do that online. Uh, Participating in the census, for example, next year. We have, for the first time, an, an almost all digital census. So you mentioned voting, civic engagement. I mean, the internet is ubiquitous. It's a part of everything we do, and it's woven into the fabric of our work life, our social life, our home life. So over the past eight years, we have connected eight million low-income individuals in two million households across our footprint. And while we can all feel a sense of um, pride, and I think we do, we're really not complacent because there are many more households eligible for the program who can sign up. So our goal is to always make the program easier, better, faster, create an application process that is seamless, a customer experience that is seamless and easy for all households, uh, non-English speaking households, uh, households that really don't have uh, much interaction with big corporations? How can we uh, leverage our partners and help give them the right information so that they can get the word out to folks who really, really need the internet, but might not understand how to use it? They don't have the skills necessary. That is this big bucket of digital literacy skills around relevance, which is the number one reason people don't subscribe to the internet at home. It is not cost. Cost is second. But surprisingly, it's this uh, sense of uh, I'm either afraid of the internet, or I just don't know how to use it, or I don't think it's relevant to me. And I think it's true with all people for you to adopt any kind of new Technology or really new habit. You you have to see what's in this for me. How can right? How can I have a sense of self-efficacy? I can do this. I feel comfortable on the internet, and it matters. I you know derive joy. It's interesting. I can apply for jobs. I see how it impacts my life personally.
0: When you were talking about that, I first thing I thought it was people with disabilities. I have so many friends, and I also have people in my family who you know. Um, are disabled or have some limits on their abilities. And so the internet kind of provides them with support they need to be engaged in society and not be left behind. Do you guys do anything kind of separate or special for that subgroup of people?
1: Uh, You are exactly right. So we know know that there is about 13% of the US population has some kind of disability, so intellectual, cognitive, or physical disability. And the internet can really be that lifeline that you need to get supportive services, to get relay services if you are deaf, uh, to sign up for social services that are relevant for you, to bring that sense of social connection when you are isolated and it's difficult for you to go out of your house. So we are actually in Washington, D.C. today, really talking about this subset of households uh, who we believe will really be- benefit from being able to sign up for our internet essentials, use the internet to get those supportive services. So are you announcing anything today in DC? Today we announced a partnership with the American Association of People with Disabilities. And that was earlier in the morning uh, at the museum. We held an event there. And what we're going to do with them, it's a pilot program. We're going to work with 10 affiliate partners Uh, with the AAPD that are on the ground because that is, uh, we know that's an effective way to reach people. You need to have those on the ground, hyper-local partners who are talking to our potential customers or constituents. So we announced a grant with the AAPD to fund a pilot to serve 10 different organizations across our footprint to really develop the kind of training that is specific to people with disabilities in their community. So what kind of training modules can we develop that can be posted online for free, for example, on our learning center, which is attached to internetessentials.com? What other kinds of skills training can be developed that, again, serves them? We don't pretend to be the subject matter experts on how to reach people in various communities across the country. We rely on our partners, they are the subject matter experts. We want to work with them to accelerate the good work that they are doing on the ground. I
0: find it very interesting because working with a lot of different groups and different types of both corporations and NGOs and associations, you always hear people talking about partners, but you never hear people acknowledging that they don't have expertise and they're relying on people who are on the ground. I think that that's very humble, and while you know, a lot of people are trying to do a lot of good. Sometimes but ego kind of pushes the blanket over. And I really appreciate that you guys are kind of focused on the efficiency and the result. Um, I'm guessing over the course of eight years, you have seen and you have some data over how this program affected the communities. Do you
1: have anything in particular that would be interesting to our listeners to hear? Sure. I can give you an example in San Francisco, for example. And, and to your earlier point, you are exactly right. Um, Yes, we are a big company and we have scale and we reach a number of people, but how can we make a statement that what is working in San Francisco, for example, to reach low-income seniors would work in Philadelphia? Perhaps there are some best practices that we can learn from our partners and we can extend to different places across the country, but we don't know. Every community is different.
0: You know, a lot of companies have a lot of good initiatives in similar fields to where their market is, sometimes in a different field. Um, But I was wondering, there's a lot of criticism that I personally, as a person who grew up in communism, can't really understand. But there's a lot of criticism of companies that claims that they're doing it for publicity, or not fully committing. Obviously, I mean, I can see how much, like, you guys are doing this so quietly and with so little publicity. I don't think people still say it. I've seen people say it about Comcast. And I just wanted to give you a chance to say, why do you think that's not true? (laughs) Or maybe you agree,
1: I don't know. I definitely don't agree. I think over the course of eight years, I can understand when we launched this program a healthy degree of skepticism from those who may hold that view that corporations are driven by profits over people. Uh, That was eight years ago. We launched this program and I, I can appreciate the skepticism there. However, when you fast forward and you look at each year the investment that the company is making. We are not accepting any other government subsidies. This is our own initiative. And who better to tackle the issue of digital inclusion and the digital divide than a connectivity and broadband company? We can't expect other companies, such as Exxon or uh, pharmaceutical companies, to be able to address this issue. We provide the connectivity. Uh, We have the relationships on the ground that have been fostered over 20 years with nonprofit partners who also care about this issue. And for us, it really makes sense to have a focused effort on helping to solve this problem and to serve as a convener for government, for nonprofit partners. It is through public-private partnerships that any complex social justice issue can be addressed. And I can still appreciate those who have skepticism now. I'm not going to dismiss their point of view, but I would ask that they look at our investment, look at what we have done, and really speak to our partners. They're the most important stakeholders there along with our customers. While they're at it, they should speak to our customers because we speak to our customers All the time we're asking them for feedback about what works what doesn't work how can we make your life easier what about the product and the program should be improved tell us how you feel and the number one thing we feel and we receive from our customers is a sense of gratitude they now have access to affordable internet service that that helps their kids do their homework at home, that helps them learn new skills so that they can get a trade certificate or complete their high school degree or go to college or start their own business. These are real life stories that our customers tell us. So I would ask anyone to speak to other folks about the Internet Essentials Program, about our long-term commitment. We are in it for the long term. We don't provide a donation and then walk away. This is a sustained program over the course of eight years, which is quite different from other companies that may have a big press release announcing, for example, a big cash donation, and then they walk away. But that's not what we're about. We are about embedding ourselves in the communities where our employees live and work so that our communities can thrive and our business can thrive. And they are both connected, and this is a really meaningful program to the Uh, many tens of thousands, (laughs) over 100,000 employees at Comcast. We have so many employee volunteers who go out into the community and go to -to back-to-school nights and distribute literature and are mentoring young people and providing internet access through Internet Essentials. So this initiative speaks to the core of who we are as a company.
0: And as a lawyer and a policy person, I would also say, hey, guys, look at hard evidence. This program expired, like the requirement expired in, what, 2014? Right. We are in 2019. Investment keeps growing over each year. I don't know. Like I don't know how you can spin this bad. At, but it's 2019, and I guess you can spin anything. Um, before you go and I know you have a very busy day. Uh, it's very exciting to have you in the studio. And um, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, we do this like little segment that uh, I've gotten a lot of positive feedback on where we have, you know, kind of people who are not your typical kind of guy in tech. Not that that's a bad thing, Mark. Don't be mad. Um, but, you know, not, not your typical guy in tech kind of story of like, oh, I just walked out of a garage and I dropped out of college. Um, How did you end up doing what you're doing? How did you end up in this like telecom tech space? Um, And what, you know, what do you think about our current state of affairs of, you know, representation in this
1: space? So I'm definitely not a typical guy in tech. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, before I came to Comcast, I actually had uh, spent I'd spent my time in city government and prior to that in academia. So I've taken a, perhaps a circuitous route to get to the private sector. But I worked for the police department in Philadelphia. I was the head of communications and new media. And in some ways I was doing things right, that are, so you were in
0: uniform in the whole
1: thing, right? Actually no. no I was no uniform? one of the few in Philadelphia. I was one of the few civilians. Uh, okay, okay. Uh, and I, We were using technology just at the time social media in 2009-10 was becoming popular amongst organizations and government. And we were one of the first police departments to actually use social, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, to engage disenfranchised communities, to involve them in our community policing strategy. And our police commissioner was... Um, very forward-thinking and forward-looking. Uh, Chuck Ramsey is his name. He was actually a police commissioner here in DC for 10 years, and he came to Philadelphia under a new mayor, Michael Nutter, in 2008. And I joined his team about six, six months in. And he had a very progressive view as to all the elements that would make for a successful community policing strategy. And one of those elements was, how do we use technology to reach people who typically don't talk to the police department? And for me, I was interested in being a change agent on the inside of a powerful organization, an organization that has a history of violence, a history of brutality, and especially in minority communities, um, has some serious issues around reputation to deal with. But for me, my sense of wanting to advocate for change, instead of resisting from the outside, which I completely appreciate that we need people to resist from the outside, I made a decision that I wanted to work on the inside to see how I could affect change on the inside. So that's what I did for four and a half years in the police department. And it was fantastic. We used, uh, we had detectives on Twitter for the first time. Talking to people in their community saying, Do you know anything about this? How can I help you? Come meet me. Let's have coffee. I mean, he was reaching out. Our first detective was reaching out to people directly, and he had an amazing response. And that's how I got interested in wow, you can really use technology to affect positive social change in a place where maybe you wouldn't think it would work. So after my time there, though, I did decide that I wanted to do something on a larger scale. And Comcast is in Philadelphia. That is our hometown. And I did come over specifically for Internet Essentials because I saw the same kind of opportunity with using technology to affect positive social change within a big corporation. And it has been an incredible experience learning the business of technology and merging it with a social mission. In fact, it's it's kind of a dream come true. How long have you been at Comcast now?
0: Uh, seven years. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I endorse all of this but the Philadelphia Eagles. That will never be endorsed on this show while I'm here. Um, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate you taking the time and making the trip. We hope you come back. Um, any final thoughts for our listeners?
1: Um, Well, I guess on that last note, go Eagles. God, I'm going (laughs) to cut that out. That will be cut out. Um, Thank you so much for your time and for your listeners' time as well. And I I hope we do, I guess on the issue of representation, uh, sometimes your root to get into tech, it doesn't have to be linear. There are plenty of opportunities for diverse ways of thinking and looking at the world around technology, and you don't necessarily need a an engineering or computer science degree. Absolutely, I think that's that's what I hear the most out of our
0: like guests. No one's no one was like in college and was like, I'm gonna be a in tech like someone just i stumbled into this free speech work that i was doing like there's just so many ways of like how people end up in this and i think that's the most fascinating and great thing about it but it's such a huge entity that it goes through everything that people just kind of get sucked into this black hole um on that note thank you so much please our listeners leave us a review so others can find the show thank you for listening